The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Now do me a favor and stand up one more time. I brought, I brought the old Bible today. This, this Bible was given to me by my mom and dad way back in the early 80s. And I've worn it out by reading it. And this was one I carried on the road when I, when I traveled. It was my on-the-road Bible. And it, it, it did a lot of camps. And I preached a couple of conferences with it. And <laughs> I thought I'd pull it out here tonight. It's the same Bible that I use when I come with the little one. But I just thought I'd bring this in tonight. Just kind of put it out here. And look at it. And thank God for my heritage. It's a joy. Genesis chapter 22 says, Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. We've used that every week. Your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. I want to, this, this message is kind of in a little three part tonight. So I'm going I'm to preach a little bit on one part that I'm going to go to the middle part, then the last part. It's what I really want to strive to get home to you, and I promise I won't be lengthy tonight. Sunday's going to be a great day. We're going to dedicate babies. We're going to pray for all the children. Last year at this time was a great, great crowd. We want to bless your kids. We're going to preach about your kids on Sunday. We love your kids. And I know some of them have already gone back to school, but it's kind of like people when they get to the table and they're so hungry, they got to eat before they pray. We're going to pray for your kids in spite of the fact they've already gone into the school system. So I want you to be here if you're in town Sunday, be in the house of God. We'd love to see you. 9, 10, 30, and 12. Turn around to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor tonight. And you may be seated. You're awesome people. Let me start with talking about a place that has been referred to as the gates of hell. The place is Caesarea Philippi, built by Philip the Tetrarch. At this site was a cave of Pan, which was a god, or the grotto of Pan, the cave of Pan. An amazing place for many reasons. Number one, the waters flowed out of the cave and fed the Jordan River. There was a bottomless pit inside that contained so much water that it could not even be measured in the times of Jesus. The place was so striking that it impressed Alexander the Great, one of the great conquerors of the world, and the Greeks built a a sanctuary there. The natural features not only impressed the Greeks, but they believed them to be a dwelling place of the gods. And nothing produced more awe and terror than a place identified as a cave where the god Pan dwelt. Philip the Tetrarch rebuilt the city of ancient Paneus that had had been on this side and made it much more large and beautiful. Then he changed the name from Paneus to Caesarea Philippi to honor the emperor Tiberius Caesar in his own name, Philip. Philip made it the capital and ruled that area until 33 A.D., the year Jesus died. He depicted the shrine of Pan on his coins, some of which have survived. And at one time, Caesarea Philippi had worship areas set up for three Roman gods. The first, of course, was Pan. We've already talked about the god of the wild, shepherds and flocks nature of mountain wiles and rustic music, and a God known for sexual sensuousness. Then there was Zeus, who was the king of all gods, and Nemesis, you might know what Nemesis, if you know what the word Nemesis means, the goddess of divine vengeance. 
But the last two worship areas for Zeus and Nemesis were built long after Jesus had risen from the dead. And the only temple that existed at the time of Jesus was the one that honored Pan. Pan. And it was on this site that Jesus led his disciples on a, are you ready for this? A 255 mile road trip from Capernaum to expose them to a show and tell time right there at that cave of Pan. The Jews despised this place. They hated it. Pan was depicted as a half-man, half-goat creature that spent his time engaging in sexual activities with all kinds of wooden creatures, represented sensuousness and self-indulgence. And all the sacrifices offered to him at this location made it repulsive and revolting place for those Jews to be. And the idea of going here would never enter the minds of good Jewish people. And yet, here was Jesus bringing his disciples there to teach them one of the most important lessons of his earthly ministry. And for at least two centuries before Jesus' ministry, sacrifices were cast in that cave as offerings to Pan to appease the God called Pan. And the cave at that time had no floor. It was just full of water. And the opening beneath the cave seemed to be an endless bottomless pit, perhaps going, they thought, to the center of the earth. And to the Greeks and the Romans, this seemed to be one of the entrances to the gates of Hades. Or can I say the place of the dead? And over the centuries, earthquakes have closed that opening in the earth. And now all you can see is a shallow cave with an earthen floor. The water's gone. But at one time, it seemed reasonable to the people of that day that this was the very gates of Hades or the gates of hell. So now, Jesus has brought his disciples 255 miles to visit these gates. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, hallelujah shall not prevail against it. It was at this spot, 255 miles away from Capernaum, that Jesus wanted to assure his followers that all of the forces of paganism, all the forces of hedonism, all the forces of idolatry in this world could not stand against this one truth, that he was the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Somebody get happy with me right now. The very gates of hell could not prevail against his kingdom. And he was giving them the power to go into Satan's very domain and rescue the perishing from death and from hell itself. That's what I'm talking about. He could have said that at Capernaum, but he said, I want to take you on a road trip and I want to put you right there where they call the gates of hell. And we're going to have church there in Matthew chapter 16. In Mark, 20, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 24, one day, he said, Therefore I say unto you, this is the second part now of the sermon, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive, and I put parenthesis, to take them, and you shall have them. Let's read it again. What things soever you desire, when you pray, 
believe that you receive to take them and you shall have them. Does anybody believe that scripture tonight? See, but just because God gives us something is no sign that you'll enjoy it. Because there's two words I want to put on the screen. One is called ownership and the other is called possession. How many know that ownership and possession are not the same thing? Try having a house that you rent out and they don't pay the rent. But they possess it. You own it, but they possess it. You have to get a whole lot of Dale Wainwrights to help you on that one. Because possession is 90% of the law, and you know that. You may have a legal right, but it's going to cost you to get it back. You can own something, but if I possess it, guess who's enjoying that? Jesus didn't say that you're going to own the gates. He said you'll possess the gate. Almighty God told Moses to write this down, or Abraham to write this down. He said, your seed shall possess the gate of the enemies. See, here's the point. God owns it all. And it's ours because we're God's kids. But somebody's got to step up and have a possessing spirit. Somebody's got to step up and say, I want more than ownership. I want to possess this thing. The problem with Christianity is that we have legal right without possession. See, God gave the first generation Israelites the land of Canaan when they came across the Red Sea. He said, that's yours. He brought them out to bring them in. He said, that land is yours. And an 11-day journey, scientists have discovered it's about an 11-day walking journey from the Red Sea all the way to the Promised Land. It took them 40 years 40-year hiatus, and they thought they could sit in their tents and cry until God felt sorry for them and just brought it to them. But God said, you got to possess it. Everybody say, you got to possess it. I want to go on record tonight before I start preaching real strong. I want to go on record that it's time for this church to not just own words in this Bible, but to possess what God has for us in this Word. It's time for dads and moms to stand up and say, I possess this thing called family. It's time for children to say, I possess this thing called strength. I'm not just going to own it. I'm going to possess it. It's going to be mine. Can you get that in your heart tonight? If I don't get anything else in your spirit, can you get the fact that it's not about ownership? It's about possessing the promise of God in your life. New Testament woman had an issue of blood for 12 years, didn't sit in her house. And wait for her healing. She went and possessed what she needed. She didn't even ask if Jesus was ministering on healing that day. Is this his healing day or is this his salvation day? There wasn't a healing line that she stood in. She was just determined that she would go in and possess healing. She came out of her house with 12 years of a blood issue and she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. Can somebody in this house start talking to yourself like that? Just start speaking to yourself like that. Just say, hey, hey, hey. I'm tired of hearing negative talk out of my mouth. I'm ready to start hearing some positive talk. 
I'm going to be something for God. I'm going to possess the promise that God has for me. See, Luke chapter 4, the Bible said when Jesus came back from the wilderness, he made a speech and he said, I'm going to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus had established his purpose of ministry. And part of that purpose was healing all those who were oppressed. And she had a right to possess what she needed from him. Let's be real. We all know we have legal title. But some of us have not possessed much of what God has provided for us. There are people sick among us. There are financial pressures in this room tonight. There's some folks that can't even pay a, a tithe or give an offering or even go out with their family because they're so strapped by financial pressures. There's oppression and depression among this church. And some are not walking in the fullness of what God has for them until we decide that we won't stop until we possess the promise of God. Not just own it, but possess it. Until we get real with ourselves and understand that God has provided things for us. Until we get so dissatisfied with where we are. We will live and someday die in a world with a legal title, but never possessing what God has for me. So how do I do it? How do I do it? Okay, it's very simple. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 said, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's total separation. He doesn't walk with the counsel. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners, or does he, he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful and negativity. He just separates himself from all the stuff that's negative. Amen. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Hallelujah. And in his law does he meditate day and night. That word delight comes from the Hebrew word kephets, K-H-A-Y-F-E-T-S. It's actually spelled C-H-E-P-H-E-T-S, but it's pronounced kephets. It means pleasure. Delight, pleasure, hence abstractly desire, concretely a valuable thing. So you abstractly desire a concrete valuable thing. And I'm going to tell you the most valuable thing you can desire is to, to desire the, the things of God in your life. Some of us need to understand. The Bible said, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's one of my favorite scriptures. I love to smile when I read that scripture because I want to get happy in God. What that really means is expect all your happiness from the Lord. Make ourselves soft and pliable in the Lord and he'll give us the desires of our heart. You know the Bible says that tares have to grow with the wheat. You know that. People have always, I was raised in a church where they say, Pastor, I don't want to, I mean, uh, they, they tell, their, tell their pastor, Pastor, I don't understand why that person just keeps coming to church. They're not living right. They're not doing right. They need to get, they need to run on down the road. And I remember the old pastor back when I was a kid, he'd say, you know, the tares have to grow with the wheat. You know, it's going to happen. And one day the tares are going to be plucked, the wheat's going to be plucked, and there's going to be a, a winnowing, and the, and the shaft's going to be blown away, and the wheat's going to be saved, and we're going to have a harvest. But the tares have to grow. But let me tell you something even deeper than that. You've got tares in your life. Tares have to grow with your wheat. Somebody said, boy, I wish I could just be bubble wrapped. You're not going to be bubble wrapped. <laughs> I kick weeds all the time in my life. And I was raised chopping that cotton. And I hated to go down those rows. And I hated careless reeds, weeds. Them old careless weeds that grew up about this tall. And sometimes you'd almost break your hoe and break your wrist trying to hit them and get them up. You just have to pull them up. Put your gloves on and pull them out. And that would break your back. 
I hated careless weeds, but careless weeds always grew. But what I hated worse than that was cuckleburrs. I hated them old cuckleburrs. They'd get in your socks and get in your shoes, and you'd have to stop and pull your shoes off. But I, got, I had tears in my life. We got tears in our life. I hate to tell you, I'm not a perfect pastor preaching a perfect sermon here tonight. I kicked some tears in my life. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to stay after it. I'm going to stay with it because I understand that one day a harvest is coming and there's going to be some wheat in this old boy's life and I'm going to live forever somewhere with Jesus Christ on the other side because I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. Paul said, in fact, he cautioned the ever-vigilant servant when he expressed the fact that there must be heresies to grow like clover in the pasture. The reason is for the church to be approved by God. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. Vigilance and soberness of mind is necessary in our days as never before. Twelve times in the New Testament, I'm almost ready to preach now. We find the word sober. Everybody say sober. sober. That's the opposite of drunk. And I'm not talking about drinking tonight. But there's some people that make some drunk decisions. Can I use the word goofy? Just goofy decision. And you get out there and you say, why did I do that? And the wor- worse than that is you want to come say, Pastor, would you pray a 30-second prayer over me and fix it? I'm not that powerful. But I do know that if I start getting people to make the right choices in life and start possessing the things that God has for you, Instead of just saying, you know, I own, I'm in that church, I'm a part of that church, but possess the promise of God that he has for you in your life and come from this level to this level to this level to this level and start growing and understand that God is your best friend. So, I hate to give you a number. But there's nine spiritual fruit and there's nine gifts of the Spirit. So I've got nine major gates that opens up one's life. They're going to be quick, but I know you're going to be saying, one, two, three, four, five. (laughs) We need to possess the gates of our own life. Because hell is here to steal and kill and destroy. The first gate I want to talk about is the head gate. The Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man so that you'll not be a partaker of his iniquity. You don't know what you're getting a hold of. Ask those sons of Sceva. Generally people pray for other people while laying hands on their heads. And likewise people are generally anointed on the heads. Kings had oil poured on their head. David said you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. The head is a means through which anointing is imparted to the body. Psalms 133 is on the head of Aaron, down into his beard and into his clothes. The head is an access route to the anointing. A holy man of God can lay hands on you and the anointing of God will fall on you and you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and be healed and be delivered and be set free because the head is the symbol of your destiny. Amen. Amen. Romans 12 and 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove 
what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He didn't say let your heart be renewed. He said let your mind be renewed. Jesus bled in seven places. He bled in seven places. Three of them was out of his head because he wanted you to know that the head gate is the toughest gate for you to hang on to. But if you can get your head right, if you can get your head right, if you can possess a good mind in this crazy volatile world, there's a devil that don't know what to do with a man that knows where he's going. Amen. He sent everything he could send against Job. And Job just stood up and said, Yea, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And though the skin worm destroy my body, yet in my flesh I will see God and I'll see him for myself and not for another. The head is the symbol of your destiny. Negative and positive anointings can flow through your head and the rest of your body. A lot of people have been attacked through the head gate. If you're passing through any kind of trouble, you may be noticing perhaps that you're having a little memory loss or you're no longer as sharp as you used to be. You, know, you think, well, I need to take some medicine. You may find you're forgetting what you should not have forgotten. You may find sinning thoughts and all kinds of negative things inside your head. You may also find you're becoming sick and sick always. You may discover that anywhere you go, bad luck follows you because the head gate is permitted something to enter. Remember, the head is the symbol of your destiny. I want you to do something tonight. I want you to listen to me. You can cut a man's leg off and he'll still live. You can cut his arms off and he'll still live. But you cut his head off, he's gone. And hell wants your head more than anything in this world. Be careful who puts hands on your head. All right, here's, here's a prayer I want us to pray right now. Lord, make my head strong. Beautiful, Beautiful. Talented, talented, gifted, gifted. because that's what, you made me. that's what you made me. Don't let me think bad thoughts. Don't let me, Don't let me ruin my mind. Let me, let me get up every morning up every knowing your mercies knowing your are, fresh are fresh and new and, new and glorious, and glorious in, my life. in my life. Clap your hands to that. The second gate the enemy wants is the eye gate. The eye gives light to the entire body. Your eyes can push you to hell fire. Jesus said if your eye would make you go to hell, it's better to pluck it out. That's powerful, folks. It's better to go to heaven blind than for you to have eyes and go to hell. Job said this. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I am not going to let my eyes see things that they shouldn't see. See, you should be careful what you look at. The eyes are like the lens of a camera. It takes pictures and transfers images to your spirit man. And the eyes, therefore, have a major spiritual gate that can both receive positive and negative messages. Messages from the eyes are so quick to transfer because they're the closest thing to your brain. They just go right in. For example, I'm going to talk tough. Lust enters the body through the eyes. Some people, all they see is negative things that other people do not see. Some of you need to pray this. Every spiritual padlock assigned against my eyes die in the name of Jesus. Amen. Set a guard on your eyes. Set a guard on your eyes. Amen. Set a guard on your eyes. It's amazing what you can see 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Somebody asked me one time, said, Pastor, how, how have you pastored all these years? And, 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 and really, I, it's just been a fun journey. But I'll tell you how I've pastored. I've pastored the biblical way. I see older women as mama. And I see women my age as sisters. And I see the young ones as my kids. And I see your kids as my grands. <laughs> how can you mess up with your own family? So when I look at this congregation, I look at pure people. I look at purity. And when you start doing that, the eye gate becomes something you possess. And hell doesn't possess it on your behalf. Come on, let's possess the eye gate. The third is the ear gate. Hearing comes through the ear gate. He that hath an ear, let him hear. That's what the Bible said in, the, in Revelation. What the Spirit's saying. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The reverse is also true. Doubt too can come by hearing and hearing by the voice of the enemy. A person's spiritual ears may be blocked and he cannot receive information from heaven. Adam and Eve were destroyed in the garden by the eye gate because the fruit looked good and by the ear gate because of what the enemy told them. They were destroyed. And notice this, that while the hell was dealing with them, they never heard the voice of God. Let me tell you something. It's imperative that you come to the house of God and hear the word of God. Because you need something besides the voice of the enemy speaking in your ear and the enemy waving things in front of your face. You need to come and let your ears <laughs> and your eyes put a salve in them and see the good things and get some of that wax out and hear the good things. My wife is a fanatic about hair growing in my ears. I can't grow it on my head, but I can grow it in my ears. <laughs> and she'll come up to me. And I love her. She's sitting over there. I'm not going to look at her. <laughs> she'll come to me. She said, oh, God, you got a patch. She calls it a patch. She said, how can you hear anything? She said, come here. She gets a flashlight. I said, you hold the flashlight. And she starts harvesting hair <laughs> out of my ear. And she got so much the other day, I thought I might transplant some on my head. <laughs> and when she got through, she said, can you hear better now? <laughs> Hell's trying to grow things in your ears. He's trying to stop your hearing. He don't want you to hear this good gospel word of God tonight. But you possess the ear gate. Don't let him have the ear gate. Come on, in Jesus' name. The fourth is the mouth gate. Boy, this is good stuff. The mouth gate is dangerous because the mouth gate has a big fish swimming inside of it. It's called a tongue. Proverbs 18 said, The power of life and death or the life and death are in the power of the tongue. Do you know that the words you speak can create an environment of goodness or an environment of hell in your life? Sometimes you need to have some self-talk to yourself and say, self, we're going to do good today because God is with us and God is for us. 
And if God's for me, who can be against me? That's one of my favorite scriptures. And this is a day the Lord has made. I want you to know something. We live on words and we die on words. We grow on words and we disintegrate on words. If you get a degree from a university, you got a degree because the words of a teacher. The mouth gate does a daily destruction or a daily construction. Your mouth can kill you or your mouth can make alive. How many want to be alive here tonight? Come on. Come on. Speak a beautiful climate into your world. Some of you guys, when you come home, I know you've had a tough day, but your wife and your kids didn't make it a tough day. That's them old Philistines out there. <laughs> Don't come home and bring all that stuff to your house. I often tell young couples when I marry them, I say, you know, if I could build a house for you, I'd build a, I'd build a floor of, of love and I'd build walls of communication. I'd leave the windows open, the doors open, and I'd put a front porch on it, you know, for the future and a back porch to reminisce. And I'd put a garage so you could park your troubles in and not bring them in the house. It's time for us to understand something. That the people that God's put in our life, He's put in our life for us to be kind to. And it's time to start using words of kindness.